Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. With the third pick in the 2019 NBA draft, the New York Knicks select RJ Barrett. What's up, everybody? It's been quite some time. I know we talk often on Pod Strickland, but not like this. Not just you, the listener, and me, Prez, without Schwinn. Not us talking about college, international prospects, the G League, the NBL, who the Knicks are going to not pick when they punt on a draft again. How sad that'll make me. Just kidding. We're here for the return of Jaff Strickland. Season four, episode one. Can't believe this is the fourth year of me doing this shit. And only in one year or two years of those have the Knicks made a draft pick. But hopefully they make another one this year. Um, Today we're not going to talk too much about the Knicks. But we are going to talk about the 2024 draft cycle. Because it's a little funky. And it's a little different than the other draft cycles. And uh, I have a very special guest who, if you've listened to Jeff Strickland, you've definitely heard him before. Uh, But before I bring him in, I just want to pause for a little message about some stuff going on with the Strickland, our Patreon sponsors. You know, we got to pay the bills. All right. Well, before we get started, I do have to make a few announcements. The first thing with Strickland has an Instagram. Check that out. That is at Strickland on Instagram, posting all kinds of new content on there. Strickland also has a YouTube channel where you may watch some podcasts. If you are not done so already, please hit like, subscribe to the channel, and even leave us a comment. That would be a huge help to us. The Strickland also has merchandise. You can find that on our website, www.thestrick.land. There's a link there that'll take you to the merchandise store. We got all kinds of cool stuff on there. T-shirts, sweatshirts, hats, coffee mugs, water bottles, you name it. We've got it. The Strickland also has a Patreon, which you can subscribe to. There are a number of different tiers. There is a $6 tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland. This podcast that I host every Friday with Prez, you also get access to Takes from Obvious Bozos, our newest podcast that is hosted by Andrew Steele, a.k.a. Doug. That comes out every other week. You also get access to the Strickland Discord, where the conversation never stops. There are further tiers. There is a $9 tier that gets you access to Strickland Roll, my solo pod, where I rant and rave about the next even more. You also get access to wonderful premium articles by Matthew Miranda, one of the best in the business. And now you get access to Strictly NFL. You guessed it. That is our weekly NFL podcast that is hosted by Constantine Metricos and Jeffrey Rasmussen. There are further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and $100 tier. Let's go with a variety of additional benefits like listening on pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and potentially co-hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day, whether you choose to subscribe or not, unless it would be possible without you. And none of this would be possible without Bet Online. All the major sports are in action this week with the college football players are ready to kick off. Bet Online is your number one destination for all your sports wagering info, including news for pro football, the NBA upcoming fights, and NHL games this season. Head to the website today to get into the action and see all the updated odds for the week. Remember to use promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. 
All right, thank you. So yes, like I said, our special guest is Wilco. You can find him on Twitter at WilcoMCV. That's W-I-L-K-O-M-C-V. You can find his YouTube channel, Floor and Ceiling. Uh, you can find that on Twitter. You can find that obviously on YouTube. You should go subscribe. Um, their draft content is amazing. Uh, Wilco's been doing this for a minute. He's just very even-keeled, reasonable, smart draft analyst, and he's one of the people whose takes I love to steal, so that's why we have him here today. Wilco, my guy, what's up? How you doing? I'm doing good, man. I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate all the good words about me. You know, I can say the same about you. Um, definitely one of the people that I read the most when it comes to the draft, and especially a year as, as open as this one, you know. Um, since I started doing the draft, I feel like this is by far the most wide open cycle. You know, kind of looking back at last year, we all knew who was going number one ever since the cycle started. This year, we might not even know until draft night. So it's going to be a pretty exciting one. Yeah, we might not know till the pick is made at this point. And I know, like, we've had a couple of drafts recently where there was a little bit of intrigue for who's going to go at the top, like not last year with Wemby, but the year before with Jabari, Paolo, and Chet, there was a little bit of like, will they, won't they, and some misdirection and all of that. And eventually the magic took Paolo, which is what we all thought was going to happen. But there was a good period there where we didn't know. But this year it's it's truly open beyond one, two, three. In, in that year, you know, there was an open one, two, three, but this year it feels like it's a one, two, three, four, five, six or some shit. It's, it's pretty crazy. So I, I guess since I'm assuming a lot of people tuning in, you know, they don't even know who are the consensus, maybe top guys or anything like that. Um, I guess the first question I have for you is like, we'll get into specific names later, but there's, no Wemby at the top of this class. There's no Luca or Zion or AD. But like the other guys, the guys at the top of this class, how would you compare them to like Paolo, Jabari, Chet, Scoot, Brandon Miller, like those kind of like are the top guys in this class on that level or or do you think it's kind of up in the air? I think it's still a little bit up in the air, but this is something that I've been thinking about a lot as of late. And especially now that I'm really diving into players from this draft class, I think that looking back at last year, I would say that the top, you know, five-ish or so, I would probably rate them closer to a Brandon Miller type of prospect than I would definitely to any of those guys you said, Luca, Zion. AD, obviously Wemby as well. Um, I think that this can be a pretty deep draft class in terms of, all right, this guy is going to come into the league and he's going to have a good career for seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years. But I don't think there's somebody who is like, okay, this is our number one pick. He's going to change our franchise. Definitely not. I would be happy to be wrong on this, you know, in three years time. But the way that I'm looking at it right now, I'm really not sure that's what we're dealing with. 
did you think for like the Jabari Paolo Chet draft, were those guys like changer franchise to you or were they a little closer to Brandon Miller where it's like, he might be a star, but like, you don't know day one that, you know, they're going to come in and like change your franchise. Oh, for me in that draft, I really liked Chet Holmgren. I, I had him as my number one pick that year Same. on my big board. And I did think that he was, you know, a franchise changing talent. I didn't expect him to be so far along offensively as we've seen this year. But from a defensive standpoint, I really did think that he was going to come in and make a huge difference on day one. Obviously, it really helped that he had an entire year off, so to speak, because of his injury. So that always really ends up benefiting rookies. They get used to NBA lifestyle, even if they're not, you know, 100% of the time with the team. They're still learning what it takes to be in the league, what, what the team needs from them and stuff like that. So I did think that Chet was one of those franchise-altering prospects. But with Jabari, with Paulo Bancaro, I wasn't as sure. Um, I mean, I was still very high on them. I still had them, you know, uh, at the top three of my list. But I just didn't really have all my questions answered. I was a little concerned about Paulo maybe, you know, being a little bit too mid-range oriented. Mm -hmm. I wasn't entirely sure how his defense was going to translate either, but it might not matter too much when you're as big and as skilled as he is. And he's got so much more room to operate now in the NBA compared to what he was dealing with at Duke, even though he had a, a decent team. But I don't know. I think Jabari, too, he's still sort of answering some questions. There's no doubt that he's going to have a long career, even if he just kind of plateaus. Like, let's just say he gets really, really good at shooting threes and he's big. So, you know, his margins on defense are not too terrible. He's going to have a long career regardless of anything else. But it is true that maybe he hasn't made quite the step up yet to having a more versatile role. To be fair, Houston is sort of, you know, this is their first year really being good in a while. So I'm still willing to give him the benefit of the doubt there. But yeah, for this year's class, I would have them closer to a Jabari Smith, a Brandon Miller, that type of prospect. Cool. That makes sense. And I think I agree. And yeah, listeners, the reason I ask is because like, I don't, I don't like calling classes like disappointing or anything like that. Like Woko mentioned this class early on, at least seems to be pretty deep and pretty wide open. But like the last time we had a class where everybody was like, oh, this class is underwhelming and disappointing. It was the 2020 draft. And I know that was a weird one because it was the pandemic draft and the workout cycle and the season and every everything about that year was was batshit crazy. But like there were some people who were like, you know, Anthony Edwards has the tools, but he was so inefficient in college and da da da. And you know, with Wiseman that he had plenty of people, including me, who just didn't like his skills. And LaMelo, everybody wondered if how much of his game was flash and whether the jump shot would translate. And, um, you know, there was, there's concerns for a lot of these guys up and down the board, right? Even Halliburton right now is probably the best player in that class. And 
you know, everybody was like, he can shoot and the stats are amazing, but like, is he a good player? Is that enough to like, you know, is, is he a franchise changer or is he just a good caretaker point guard? Can Obi play defense, right? Like those questions are all up and down the board. But then just looking back at that class, like it was pretty good. It was pretty good, even with some bombs like Wiseman and Okoro and Hayes and these guys. You got like guys like Vassell and uh, Lamelo and Ant and IQ and Maxi and Bain. Just huge, just bombs from the second half of that class who were just super exceeded expectations. And um, then you got a g- bunch of players who were like, all right, maybe they'll be role players, and now they're proving they're, like, bomb-ass role players like Cole Anthony and Aaron Neesmith and dudes like that. So um, that's why when I look at this current draft, I'm like, I know there's no Zions or no Wembys up there, and there might not even be Bancaros or Chets up there, but let me let me not make any loud proclamations too boldly just yet because – Partially because you never know, and partially because I just don't want to look stupid in a year. So, <laughs> um, with that, so that's kind of like how how I'm approaching this class a little bit with caution. So, all of that being said, like my next question for you is: we, we've kind of established that there's no one of a certain level at the top of the class. At least it appears that way right now, but. For the guys at the top for you, like, is is there, like, a group of players? Like, I, I don't know, depending who you talk to, some people say it's, like, three players, four players, five, six, whatever. Some people say it's more. Are there, like, certain guys who you think right now are separating themselves at the top of the class? And if so, who do you think, uh, who, who who would those players be to you? Yeah, I think there's a top five, maybe a top six, if I really want to get there. The first one being Isaiah Collier, USC point guard, built like a Mack truck, really (laughs) explosive athlete going downhill. Not exactly an above-the-rim guy, but once he gets into the paint, he can definitely bully guys just out of the way. Really good passer, too, but the jumper is definitely the big question, and then on defense, I think he has some tools, but number one, he has such a high usage with USC that he can't really concentrate on that side of the floor too much, I don't think. And also, he just lacks engagement. So those are my questions with him. Then you've got Alex Saar, who is a French seven foot one big man, played for overtime elite last season. Before that, he came out of the Real Madrid Academy in Spain. And now he's over in Australia in the NBL with the Perth Wildcats. Sar had a really, really good sort of start to the draft cycle. His team played the G League Ignite, and he was awesome on both sides of the ball. But I also sort of think that he, in a way, set expectations too high for himself with those showings because day in and day out, He's not really the type of guy who's going to bring the ball up and shoot threes and all this stuff. He's a lot better in a more simple role on offense. But then on defense is where I really love him. He covers so much ground. He's really, really long, like ridiculously long. He can switch out on the perimeter. He's going to be versatile in pick and roll coverages. So he's definitely somebody who I think 
has a very good chance of going number one this year. After that, a couple of G League Ignite guys, and this might sound a little bit weird because they've been so bad as a team so <laughs> far this season, but still, Ron Holland, Matas Buzelis, both guys are sort of ball-handling wings in a way, a little bit different from each other, but they can both handle the ball. The idea is that they'll be able to pass and shoot as well. I think that Holland is probably a little further away from shooting the ball on a consistent basis, but he's also a really good athlete and a little under out of control, I should say, most <laughs> of the time right now. But if he can slow down and play out of multiple speeds and stuff like that, then he has the means to be a really effective two-way player. With Buzelis, he just came back from an ankle injury. He was out for a few weeks before this, but he's really kind of helped stabilize this Ignite team that up until now had been struggling in a major way. He's a little bit a little bit hesitant, I think, on the floor sometimes. He's not really somebody that's going to assert himself on a game over 48 minutes, but he kind of has all the little things that you want in terms of size. He's got pop. I think he's an underrated athlete. He can really shoot from deep, which sort of started last season as a high school senior, but that has really For carried Buzelis? over in a big way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Damn, because I didn't. I I watched him shoot, and I just it looked so good that I just assumed he was one of those kids who could always shoot. <laughs> he had been like, he'd never been a bad shooter, but I think as a senior, he went to um, what is it, Sunrise Christian Academy. I think he was there for his senior year and yeah, he really started going off there. Like he was taking a bunch of threes and spacing the floor almost all the time. So I almost think that in some ways he's being stereotyped as a prospect that he isn't because he's not exactly like a point forward, which I've seen a lot of mentions of him being, you know, kind of, a ben, not a Ben Simmons guy, but somebody who's going to make plays with the ball in his hands all the time. I don't really think he's that, but since he does su have such a safe floor as a shooter, he does have the means later to put the ball on the floor for a couple of dribbles, make the right read, play with his head up. And I think that he's probably a little bit of a safe pick, but if he really ramps up the next few months, I see no reason why he can't be the number one guy. And finally, to wrap that up, a couple of international guys who I think are a little bit surprising that they've gotten here. You know, if you look back at predictions for the 2024 draft a year ago, I don't think either of these guys would be here. But Nikola Topic, who is a Serbian point guard, he plays for Mega in the Adriatic League. He's got a case to be considered the best passer in this draft. Just, you know, he's still going to be 18 come next summer. He can make a bunch of pick and roll reads already. He's reading the first level of defense, the second line, the third line as well. He understands how to manipulate defenders and, you know, find wide open shooters and stuff like that. But the only question with him, offensively especially, is his three-pointer. Right now, he's a willing shooter, but his percentages are pretty low, I think, you know, below 30%. And as a point guard in today's NBA, that makes things difficult, not just for yourself, but for everyone on the team. 
So that's Topic, and then Zachary Rizacher, who is a French wing. He was highly touted about a year, a year and a half ago, kind of fell off because he wasn't getting many minutes. But he went on loan this season to another club in the French first division. And he's been really good, you know, a little bit like Buzelis, lanky, long, six foot nine, six foot ten. But he can handle the ball. He can shoot it from the outside. He's really showing that this year. And I think that there's some untapped, you know, self-creation tools there. So, yeah, those six guys, I think, right now would have pretty good cases to be number one come next summer. The two G League Ignite guys, Buzelis and Holland, the two guards, Collier and Topic, then Riza Sher on the wing, and Alex Saar as a big. So is it fair to say, at least right now, that like those guys are somewhere in the neighborhood of like Brandon Miller, the Thompson twins, Jarris Walker, uh, I'm just picking some names, um, like Keegan, Ivy, Matherin, like those guys who we know they're really good prospects, even if they're not like instant franchise players. And the and and if so, do you think there's a chance that like I don't know, I feel like with all those guys, like it wouldn't surprise me if some of them or one of them became like really, really fucking good, like beyond that. Like it's is that kind of how you view it, or is it or are they like a little step below that, do you think? No, I think that's fair. I think, like, yeah, definitely around that Brandon Miller, Jarris Walker, Derek Lively sort mm. of tier in which they right now are, like, pretty good at one thing or one or two things. But there's definitely a world out there where some of these improvement points really come along. And they become very good players. Like with Alex Saar, for example, something that I've been thinking about the last couple of weeks is if I was, you know, a team in the NBA and I had the choice to draft either him or Derek Lively this year, I wasn't entirely sure who I would pick, but that's because maybe I was very high on Lively. I think he can be <laughs> yeah, me too. one of the best defenders in the NBA or maybe the best defender in the NBA, the best rim protector at least. And I also, you know, bought into his offense. I think he can pass the ball, which Dallas fans are seeing now more often. I think down the line, he might be able to shoot the ball a little bit. And with Alex Saar, it's sort of the same situation where he's entering this draft as a standout on defense. But in terms of offensive development, if his ball handling becomes a little bit tighter, if his footwork, you know, becomes a little bit more under control, if he can up his volume from three a little bit because he's not a bad shooter right now, then he can definitely be a guy who all of a sudden he might not be the number one guy on your franchise, but you might feel pretty good about him being your number two option. And that's always a, a really good outcome in a draft, I think. Yeah, totally. Okay, cool. Um, <clears throat> see, to me, I even though there's no like elite, elite guy at the top, like I, I think about that and I get excited. And for me, part, I mean, you, you're more familiar with the, the top of this class than me. I'm late as usual, but I have pretty much all those guys, and then a couple more. Um, 
that are that I still have to watch more film on, but who I'm like, they might be in that level, which is guys like, you know, Jacoby Walter or uh, Donovan Klingon at UConn and who's trying to defend his chip this year with a, with Stefan Castle, another guy who might end up breaking into that group. So to me, I'm like, okay, like if I have a pick in the top 10 or whatever, like, there's a decent chance I'll get a high floor player. And then like to bring it back to things we've learned from the 2020 draft, which was the last, the last draft viewed as like a little underwhelming. You know, I look at the guys, like you have the top where it's like Ant and LaMelo and the questions were for them were kind of weird. Right. Cause it was more like, I feel like people's questions for them were more, mental than like what could they do on the court right everybody acknowledged that like Lamelo was tall gifted as anybody ever passing whatever and everybody knew ant was like an elite athlete with like who could do anything it's just does he make the right decisions and stuff like that does he compete on both ends and and but if you look at the other guys in that class who have <clears throat> who have surprised Aside from Bane, who pretty much is like, he's kind of his own category to me because he's just really fucking good. And for some reason, a lot of people didn't think he was really fucking good. But you have guys like Halley and Quickly and Maxi, who like everybody knew they were good. But for all of them, they broke through some barrier that people weren't sure they gonna they were going to break through in a major way. Like for Maxi, it was the shooting you know, for Halley, it was the, the off the dribble creation, both shooting off the dribble from three and uh, into the paint. And I know it seems impossible to think this, but listeners, go look up Halley's off the dribble shooting in college because it was not good. Um, so that was kind of an open question at the time. Um, at least it was to me. And then uh, with Quickly, you know, he was a. Uh, he 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 was different. He came in like everybody thought he would be like a Lou Williams type, and he kind of earned his money on defense, and then slowly developed point guard skills over the over over the time in the early years with the Knicks. As listeners of this pod probably know, um, so to me, I'm I'm looking at the top ten of this draft, and I'm like, it wouldn't surprise me if one of these guys like just broke through their ceiling, just like shattered it, and figuring out who that might be is going to be one of the fun parts of this draft. Cause I feel like we're going to look back on it in a couple of years and it'll be like a, almost like how we view the 2020 draft now where it's like, man, why didn't my team take Hallie or whatever? Not that like, I mean, everybody always jokes like, Oh, the Knicks should have took Hallie, but there was also like 11 other teams that probably should have taken Hallie. So like, I wouldn't be surprised if we get a, if we get some of that for uh, those top guys that you mentioned. Um, I'm going to ask you a couple of rapid fire questions now about some of those top guys, just so we can continue to familiarize our listeners with the top of the class. How does that sound? Let's do it, man. All right, cool. This is going to be like game show style. I need to see if we got the money to put like some game show music or some shit. All right. 
who of the guys you mentioned, who's the most fun to you? Who you just enjoy watching hoop? Ooh, I really like watching Isaiah Collier hoop. I think he's a very good passer. When he's got it going from deep, he can just pull up off and dribble, pull up from deep, like really deep range. And yeah, I mean, I, I think he's a gamer. Um, I'm not sure USC has been using him in the best way so far, <laughs> but once he really has it going and once he has NBA spacing and better shooters around him, I think he's going to be, you know, probably the funnest guy in this class. Yeah, I have a question about that since I know, you know, you you be in LA and, and you watch them on TV in person and all that shit. And just looking at it, like casually, just like looking at Collier's tape before the season started, I was like, oh, this guy's like, not like a LaMelo ball type passer, but like that same type of like fun passing ingenuity. Maybe if LaMelo ball is like a 10 out of 10 for that, Collier from his high school tape was like, at least like an eight out of 10 to me. But now I watch him at USC and I'm like, he he's making like point guard passes and reads and stuff. But I'm like, where's all the cool passes? Like what, what's going on there at USC? I don't know. I don't watch, I haven't watched them enough to really know like what they're doing on offense. I know they got a lot of like maybe NBA players, like second rounders, fringe first rounders aside from him, including uh, now, thankfully, Bronny James. Um, Kobe Johnson, Boogie Ellis. So I'm like, they got all these guys who are talented. They got a point guard who's, I thought was going to be out here just diming off all the time, but are they not doing that? What's going on there? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I feel you. Um, I remember the first time I watched Collier in person and it was actually when he first played at USC and he was playing Bronny James's uh, Sierra Canyon team. And he was, you know, his three-pointer was not going in at all. He was missing jumpers all over the floor. But at the same time, I was like, all right, he was probably the best player on the floor just because he was slicing up the other team in just about any type of way imaginable. Um, after that, I got the chance to watch him in person a couple more times. You know, obviously, same as you. I went through his high school tape. And his passing was just so much more different than what we've seen so far at USC. And I think some of it is on him sometimes just because the dimensions of the floor are a little different in terms of the helps that he's seeing and the length that he's having to deal with and stuff like that. So some of it is a little bit of an adjustment period, but also, like I said, I just haven't been a huge fan of the way that USC has been using him so far. For starters, I don't think they run enough, you know, just clear out the floor, space it out, high ball screen, let him get into the paint, and then he can make a decision from there. He can, you know, drop it off. He can kick it out to three. He can do all that type of stuff. And it sounds simple the way that I'm describing it, but once he's actually on the floor doing it, it's the zip of his passes, the technique, how he can wrap around defenders the way that he uses his strength and his handle to carve out spaces for himself, stuff like that. I really think that, you know, sort of a, to keep a long story short, USC really wants Collier to score the ball, but I don't think that should be, you know, his be all end all. I think that he's a distributor first and foremost. And then from the windows that he opens up from that, he can then get into his scoring because 
if the other defense if the other defender notices that you know if he drops back a little bit all of a sudden collier can you know hit whatever pass now he's playing him closer and collier can just use that first step burst past him beat the help finish at the rim or if they're dropping on him he's not afraid to you know just let it fly from deep because even though he's not the best shooter he's a very willing one and like i said earlier once he catches you know a hot streak he's a very very willing shooter from anywhere on the floor so yeah i don't know like usc has been a little disappointing to start the year or maybe even very disappointing i think they're 5 and 5 as of today which really should not be the case from a team that has at least a few nba prospects and i'm hoping that you know they start using collier a little bit differently um use him as a point guard even more sometimes i think that the show runs through boogie ellis too much but if he has a couple of months you know where he just has the ball to himself the team kind of has you know better spacing which i think they might now once that bronny james is back because he's a really good shooter from deep too then i think we'll start seeing some of that you know really good passing goodness that we were able to see in high school and that hasn't quite translated so far. Okay, that's reassuring. I I was I was not sure how to approach that and uh yeah, I I think it's weird. Usually you don't have to tell players who are that gifted like to be pass first, but he might actually that might be his default setting. Like I know on Twitter some people were like, "Oh, his his turnover rate is crazy. Like he needs to, you know, you see high turnover rate and you immediately think someone's just like throwing the ball away or dribbling it off their foot or whatever. And I went through and looked through all of his turnovers and he had a little bit of that, but most of the turnovers were like, like charges and like born directly of him trying to like get buckets in the paint. Right. Cause he's not, a jump shot first kind of point guard. So it, it'll be interesting to see. I've already seen his stock suffer a little bit, to be frank, like him appearing at like four, five, six on some mocks. And uh, that could put it, it might be legit, but it could also be like a great opportunity for some team picking four, five, or six, right? And that's what I meant earlier when I was like, this might be this draft is so weird that like anybody picking it even in the late later half of the top 10 might end up coming out with the best player or something like that and and we won't know okay second rapid fire question um let's see here who of those guys i'm gonna say who because i was gonna say who do you think is gonna be the best defender of those guys but alex star is kind of like the main defense first guy of that group. So I'm going to cheat. Aside from Alex Saar, which of those guys do you think has a chance to be the most impactful defender in the NBA? Probably Ron Holland, even though he's further away from it than I think the consensus kind of is right now, because definitely down the line, he can be one of those guys who probably guards one through four and you know if a team is playing five out with a really small five man quote unquote then he can probably guard that five too in certain situations but 
right now he's still, you know, I kind of hinted at this earlier on offense. He's very out of control. The same thing can kind of happen on defense. But once he really, you know, kind of develops there and I think hones in, then he can be really good because, first of all, he's incredibly mobile um, and he's long as well. I know that there's been some debate about how tall he actually is, whether he's 6'6", 6'7", 6'8", 6'9". I've seen him in person. I think he's probably around like 6'7 and a half-ish in shoes, which is okay size for a wing. Like not, not spectacular, but not bad either. I need that wingspan, that standing reach. I agree, man. But even if, um, I I think his measurements will be good though. Like I I think they'll be good, but even if they don't blow you away, I think he can kind of make up for it a bit with his first step on defense. And I know that usually we kind of talk about that more in an offensive way, but his anticipation is genuinely really good from what I've seen. His motor is sort of, you know, a cliche to say, oh, okay, Ron Holland has the best motor in the draft, but it's true. And I think that he really pairs it up well with his tools, which is what matters most. Like, obviously it's great if he's diving for every loose ball or whatever, but if he never has a chance of actually getting there or getting the stop, then it's like, okay, it is what it is. But with Holland, if he's pursuing a ball, if he's tracking a rebound, if he's getting really low to the floor and he's poking away and digging at the you know ball handler's um, dribble, he can really be productive. So, yeah, I think Holland is going to be the best defender out of those. But if I actually, you know, not to deviate from the question, but if I had to pick somebody outside of Alex Saar to be the best defender in this draft class, it would be Ryan Dunn from Virginia. Ooh, yeah. Knicks fans are already... He was the first guy who, like, sort of started making the rounds on Knicks Twitter because two reasons. One, he's from New York. He's from Long Island. And then two, he's... Uh, you know, the way the Knicks are currently built, like, obviously you don't draft a player to fill, like, what bench role do we have need of that we don't currently have? But, like, especially with trading Obi, the Knicks are kind of a short team outside of Randall and the centers, which, mm-hmm. I mean, that's your power forward who's playing a lot of minutes and your centers who are playing all the minutes, so it's not the end of the world, but, like, our wings are short, aside from Julius. It's like Josh Hart and RJ and Grimes, and none of these guys are above. RJ's like 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, but he plays like he's like 6'5". So, like, they're all, like, short, short-ish. So, you see Ryan Dunn out there running around, getting, like, a zillion blocks and steals and just being a fucking menace. For people who don't know, Ryan Dunn, he's like 6'8", maybe 6'9". He plays for Virginia. He's a sophomore. He's probably the best defender in the country who's not a center and maybe even including centers. This dude has like, it's early in the season, but he has like, like a 10 or 11% block rate and like a six or seven or 8% steal rate. And he just helped defense on ball defense, all that shit. So I'm going to deviate from my own question and ask you a question about your follow-up answer. So Ryan Dunn, super interesting Knicks fans kind of circling him. Do you think he'll have, like, I don't know. Like, I I always ask myself, even for defense prospects, like, can they do enough on offense to just 
not suck, right? Like on offense, because otherwise you're not going to play. But there are exceptions to that, though, right? Like, like Dyson Daniels still has gotten minutes on the Pelicans, and Herb Jones got minutes on the Pelicans pretty quickly because they're both incredible defenders. I don't really think they're particularly great. I mean, Herb Jones can like he can finish well. He's athletic, and he's turned himself into not the worst three-point shooter. But like more, I feel like more common for defensive prospects, it's like what you see with Bilal Koulibaly in the Wizards, where it's like, ah, he's showing that he can at least hit spot ups and, you know, finish easy baskets and stuff like that. And then that gets him on the floor so his defense can shine. But if you don't have that on offense, then it can become pretty tough, especially if you're not a top, top pick. So, like, I guess, how do you? How do you feel about Ryan Dunn's offense? Like, is it limited enough to keep him from getting minutes? Or do you think it's just, like, his defense is so crazy that, like, he'll at least find 15 minutes a game somewhere from the jump, just just like Dyson Daniels? Yeah, it's a tough question because even <laughs> right now at the at the college level, sometimes he's, you know, not really doing anything on offense other than, you know, maybe dunking the ball here and there or, like, he'll take a spot up, but it's on really low volume. I think he's taking like two threes a game or something like that. And he's making around 30% maybe, I think last time I checked. So it's, yeah, it's a valid question for sure. Uh, I have trust in his defense, like real trust that it can get him on an NBA court pretty early on. At the same time, it also depends on the context a little bit because yeah, like, even something like what Koulibaly is doing this year, I don't think Ryan Dunn can handle the ball like that. And that's not even saying that Koulibaly is going to handle the ball in some sort of crazy way and be creating advantages for others and all this stuff. But at least here and there, he can like attack a closeout or mm-hmm. grab and go off a defensive rebound in a straight line and dunk the ball or something. With Ryan Dunn, I'm not even sure that he could do that uh, on day one in the NBA but I think, like, in year two, probably he's going to be able to shoot spot-ups. He'll be able to play above the rim. Uh, I've seen some of this stuff on Twitter, but I'm interested in seeing him more as a cutter, as a role man, just sort of getting him going downhill so that he can use his athletic tools and finish. So I don't know for a team like the Knicks, which might probably need a little bit more from their wings in terms of offensive production outside of just taking wide open threes. Um, but maybe for like a team such as Indiana, who probably mm-hmm. needs some size on the wings, they're not really going to be asked to do too much. He can run the floor hard in transition and catch and dunk or, you know, like draw a foul or whatever. Then there's probably a better chance for Dunn to get on the floor from day one. But Yeah, I do think that his offense is very limited. However, probably around like year two or three, it might not be such a big concern. All right, that's good to hear. Um, I know he's uh, of interest to Knicks fans. All right, a couple more quick hitters here. Um, Who do you think of those guys that you mentioned is going to be the best shooter from three? Oh, uh, 
Buzelis probably. I think Buzelis can be a very good three point shooter. Six foot nine, six foot ten. So his shot is going to be hard to block to start for to start with. But also, I do think he'll develop into a guy who's going to be able to shoot threes off movement. Who's probably going to be not too much of a pull up shooter, but he can probably down the line create his own shot out of like one or two dribbles. And if he has good guard play around him, he's going to be fed a ton of easy looks, especially in his career early on, because he has, you know, one of those games that's pretty scalable to standing in the corner as the fifth guy when you're a rookie. Someone will pass to you and you have to either take that shot or attack off the catch or keep the ball moving and earn your minutes that way while also sort of battling on defense. I think he can do all of that stuff. And since he does have, I think, the leverage as an outside shooter, defenders will start to close out on him. He'll have more openings that way. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he was a career 38, 39 three-point shooter, maybe even 40. That's how much I believe in him. Yeah, I've... I'm I'm increasingly a fan and he's uh it seems like he's gotten more comfortable in the last couple games and you see those numbers going up and up and the G League still most of the time are getting their the ignite are getting their asses handed to them, but it's getting a little more respectful. So uh we'll we'll keep close eye on on Boots Ellis. Um okay. Next question. It doesn't have to be limited to those uh those top guys so one player you're you found yourself seemingly much higher on than other people and one player you found yourself seemingly much lower on one player that i'm pretty high on and i think people might get there eventually too is aaron bradshaw out of kentucky seven foot one ish maybe even seven foot two ish or at least seven feet at least but very nimble. He can move really well despite being so big. He's definitely more on the narrow side in terms of his build and frame, but his motor has really improved over the last year. He's crashing the boards a lot better. He's understanding finally how to use his size to get offensive rebounds, create second chance opportunities, all of that good stuff. And then on the other side of the floor, He just has, I think, a pretty safe uh, outcome when it comes to being somebody who can play above the rim, catch lobs, finish, you know, easy layups and putbacks around the basket, stuff like that. He's also, I think, going to be able to space the floor in a pretty tangible way. I'm not saying like Carl Anthony Towns or anything like that, but definitely even as a rookie, I expect that a team will want him to shoot threes and encourage him to shoot threes because he has real touch and he has real range as well. I know that there's some questions, you know, as there should be when such a big guy has, you know, lower body injuries and stuff like that. Is that what happened with him? Yeah, I think uh, I would have to double check, but I'm pretty sure that he had an ankle injury to start Mm. the season. So that's why he was kept out for, no, he had a foot fracture, actually. Let me correct myself. He had a foot fracture or something like that. So he was out for a few months. But now that he's been back for at least a couple of games, everything that I've seen 
has been very encouraging. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty high on him. I think that he actually could have a very real case come, you know, May, June to be a top 10 pick if everything goes well. And then somebody who I'm a little lower on than most, and maybe this has kind of tilted my way as the season has started, but I've never been too high on Adaimata, the Spanish center out of UCLA. Uh, he's, you know, seven foot three, something like that. And he's a really genuinely skilled passer. Like, I'm not surprised that people sort of mention him in the light of a Sabonis or an Alpert and Shangun when it comes to his passing because he's a very skilled facilitator. But outside of that, I'm just not really sure what he can bring to an NBA team right now. I don't even think it's clear what he can bring to UCLA right now. Um, just, you know, really has to improve his physicality. He gets pushed out of his spots just overwhelmingly easily, I think. Um, his jumper is okay, but it's not really to the point where other defenses, you know, care about it. They'll be happy to let him shoot from the elbows usually because he doesn't really have range going out to three. He's not really going to, you know, draw fouls around the rim either because he, like I said, he lacks that physicality. He doesn't really have the, that much pop either. And then on defense, like, yeah, if he just stays in the paint all the time to his size and intelligence, he'll get a few blocks here and there. But as soon as he has to guard even, you know, any type of pick and roll action, whenever he has to execute a long closeout, you can pretty much guarantee that that's going to put your team in a bad predicament. So I know that to sort of start this draft cycle, I had seen some big boards with him as a potential top five, top 10 pick. But if he was to declare for the draft this year, I'm really not sure that he would actually make it out of the second round. Bradshaw, I'm with you on Mara, Mara and Bradshaw. I didn't even know shit about him. I'm not going to lie. But then I saw the highlights of his first game with Kentucky, and I was like, yo, who is this motherfucker? His jumper was looking splashy. He looked tall. He looked decent in terms of how he was moving. And then my, you know, again, going back to, like, Nick's brain, I was like, my first question is just, can he play the four? Like, can he be a big wing? Because, like, we got Mitchell Robinson, whatever, like, Mitch is awesome. Hope he gets healthy soon. Get better, Mitch. But like, if he would already, he would already be a good prospect if he just keeps up all the shit you said as a center. But if he can defend some four, even just like a teeny bit, like like Carl Anthony Towns level, or just like better than Julius Randle and Obi Toppin, which is like the lowest fucking bar of all time. Like that would be for somebody who can rebound and block shots like him, like. Yeah, in a class like this, then I'm I'm exactly where your head are. I'm like, I might have to put this guy in the the top ten or or at least knocking on the door out here. So like I don't know. Does he 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 plays do you know if the plan is to mostly just play him at the center for Kentucky? So uh, it it was interesting because I got to talk to Bradshaw um, during McDonald's All-American Week in Houston. I think it was in nice. March, this past March. And it was very intriguing to have him say that 
when he got to Kentucky, he was still, you know, a few months away from this at that point. He actually wanted to play the four most of the time. And <laughs> he, he said that he could see himself playing the three as well, which is, you know, pretty interesting for someone who's Failing himself. seven foot one. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I watched him in practice and stuff and I watched him in games and then I went over his high school tape and I can kind of get why he's saying it because he's very comfortable around the perimeter. I think like the knock on him for a long time was that he was too comfortable on the perimeter for his size. But now that he's sort of, you know, really ramped up his physicality in the interior and he's crashing boards now. And then he's, you know, combining that with his mobility and his long strides to move around the floor and stuff like that. I do think that he's going to be able to play the four in the NBA at least a little bit. I like that Carl Anthony Towns comparison that you brought up. And once Kentucky hopefully gets all their other centers either healthy or available, since right now they only had, you know, Trey Mitchell for the majority of the season. They got that big foreign guy, right? Yeah. What's his name? uh, They've got Ivisic from Croatia, who is a seven seven foot one as well, you know, can block shots and shoot threes too. And then they've actually got another guy too, who I liked. Um, I really liked him two seasons ago, I want to say, when he was coming out of the NBA Academy in Africa. You go now on Yenso, and he's another, you know, seven foot shot blocker. So Cal is absolutely stacked with these, you know, absolutely gargantuan human beings. And with Bradshaw's skill set, yeah, I think he is going to play the four. Or I'm hoping that he plays the four at least because it would be very, very cool to watch. I mean, we know Cal is, at least in the past, he's been no stranger to jumbo lineups. So that is a good fit. And him having those guys on the roster, I don't think he would do that just to have them collect dust on the bench. So, yeah, hopefully those guys get better soon and and we can see uh, Aaron Bradshaw future, maybe a lotto pick, maybe the upset pick. And, uh, yeah, all right. My last question for you, because we're going 50 minutes. We've talked about a lot of players, most of them probably going in the top part of the draft. I don't know how much you watch the Knicks when they're on TV. If it's a lower number, that's probably better for your health. So no shame either way. Give me one guy who we haven't brought up today who might go from like any like outside of the lottery, basically, because we know we'll have our pick and we'll have the Mavericks pick. So I'm, I'm just assuming we'll have one pick somewhere in the like 15 to 30 range or something like that. And But we also have two picks between the 30th and 40th pick. So I'm like, we're going to take someone between 15 and 40 or whatever. So like, give me one name who you think Knicks fans should just keep an eye on or remember. And it doesn't even necessarily have to be like fit with the Knicks right now. It's just someone you think is like nice who might be a steal back there. Just a name to remember, just a complete fucking blindfold, blindfolded dart toss. There are a couple of guys, I think. You can say a couple too. That works. In in the 30 to 40, I'll say one in the 30 to 40 range, and then I'll say another one who's more, you know, in that first round right, kind cool. of situation. Uh, I think in the first round, 
French wing, Tijan Salaun, uh, very, you know, explosive athlete. He's starting to get minutes now in the French first division and in other European competitions. Sort of a mystery box of a player in a way because he hasn't really had a defined role throughout most of his career. They just, you know, kind of put him on the floor and let him hoop and he's super long and bouncy. He's tall, right? He's like 6'8", six, 6'9", six, but if you watch him play, I feel like sometimes he looks even bigger just with the way that he moves and, you know, explodes and stuff like that. But I don't know. Like, whenever I see him play, I always come away with at least, you know, three or four moments where I think this guy could be or could have, I should say, top 10 upside because he has all the two-way tools in the world. He can shoot the ball from deep. He can, you know, explode to the rim, get into the paint, dunk on guys. He's shown himself to be a willing pull-up shooter at, you know, inferior levels. But with guys like him and, you know, sort of going back to that Koulibaly mention that we had earlier, part of his appeal is that down the line, he might be able to, you know, use a ball screen and rise into a two at the elbow. Or if he's shooting the ball from three well, he can take a couple of dribbles inside and, you know, pull up from the mid-range. And Salon is another guy who I sort of think has that upside. So definitely keep an eye on him. And then for that second round, early second round-ish sort of situation, going back to Australia and the NBL, Alex Tui, he's not somebody who you watch and you're thinking, wow, this guy has amazing potential, you know, incredible upside. But I do think that if we're looking back at this draft in like five years, people might be wondering how he fell to the second round because he's already giving, you know, very productive, um, very, very good production, I should say, for a championship team in Australia, being a starter, playing like 20 minutes a game, He's, you know, maybe like six teenager? foot seven, six foot eight as a teenager. Nice. Um, he was going to go to Gonzaga, but then he decided to stay in Australia. He's switchy. Um, the Sydney Kings, who he plays for, they've had him guard one through four. And, you know, as you know, that's a huge challenge for any teenager, any professional league. But he's more than held his own. He understands his role on offense, so he's never going to do too much. But at the same time, I don't think he does too little. He shoots his shots. He really crashes the boards, which I love about him. And I think the Knicks would like that too, since, you know, they're pretty big on rebounding. And yeah, Alex Tui, somebody who can guard many positions, who I think has some untapped offensive upside in terms of just making right decisions, being a good ball mover, stuff like that. So, yeah, those two guys, Salon and Tui from France, from Australia, definitely track them. All right, listeners, you got your you got your sleepers, at least two of them, to file away for later this year. Um, Wilco, thanks, as always, for joining. This is a lot of fun. Uh, I got to go. I got to go uh, look up high school tape now of a bunch of the guys we were talking about because now I'm worried, like, that all these NCAA teams are 
that they 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 got stuff in their bag that <clears throat> in their bag that they're not showing at the NCAA level. That's something that because I'm like doing this super lazily for fun, I always do that later in the cycle. But the smart thing to do is to just pay attention to high school basketball like you do. That way, when they go to college, you'll already know what's different and what's the same. Again, listeners, you can find Wilco on Twitter at WilcoMCV, and you can find him on YouTube at Floor and Ceiling. Please give them a subscribe, a subscription, or however you call it. I sound so old and washed because I probably am, but that's okay. Um, Wilco, uh, is there anything that you want to? plug before we get out of here anything that you got coming out soon or that you just dropped or anything like that uh you pretty much covered it well but yeah give me a follow on twitter at wilco mcv i drop draft related stuff on there all the time high school international college whatever the case may be and then on youtube floor and ceiling i just had two videos come out one on alex sar one on Nikola Topic. So check those out. And yeah, man, I appreciate you having me on. All right, dude. Yeah, always welcome. And uh, I'm sure we will continue to kick it about this draft stuff on Twitter. So I will see you on the internet. Listeners, thank you for tapping in with Draft Strickland. We got a fun cycle ahead of us this year. And uh, I look forward to unraveling it with all of you. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. Yeah, it's a mini fridge. It's a mini yeah. fridge. New New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.